Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I am here to be your host, and Mark LaRocco is here to be my source of most of the content on this episode, right, Mark? Yes, at least 67% of it. That's correct. That's correct, because (laughs) we've got three movies to talk about, and neither of us have seen any of the same movies, so that'll be interesting. But first, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Do you have anything new to say about the the strike? Because the reality is maybe these are the last movies we're ever going to review. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe nothing else is going to come out after August. And we're just going to have to start talking about our favorite movies and making lists of you know, right. doing drafts for actors who are no longer employed. You know, I wouldn't mind that. I, I, I as, as you well know, that nostalgia is a heavy topic, is a common topic on this show. And yes. um, I, yeah, it's fun to always go back and revisit what we consider to be classics, which just means mm-hmm. maybe, you know, really bo- movies that we saw when we were young. Uh, um, so, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any updates on the strike. So I, I'm not yeah. sure where they're at. I, I, I would have seen a big headline if they had, it had been resolved by now. So I don't think right. we're there. Well, the only the only thing I keep keep hearing is that there are no current negotiations going on. And so I guess you can draw from that whatever you would like. But uh, that also means we don't really have any anything new to talk about in, in those terms. Um one thing that does have me a little bit apprehensive, I guess, if apprehensive is, is a fair term, is that I, I heard the suggestion that even some of the movies that are slated for later this year might be pushed back as a result. Um, not because they aren't finished, because I think all of the production and the writing and all that stuff is done, but I don't know if it's like a fear of, well, if we can't promote these movies, they're all going to flop. So we better wait until the actors can get out and promote them. Um, what I'm getting at is I really want to still see Dune 2 this year. And I'm going to be disappointed if I can't see Dune 2 because it's really one of the last movies left I am interested in seeing this year. Um, that one and the John Carney one. But I guess we'll have to see. Well, I think that, uh, yeah, Flora and Son should come out, although it was the one that was the one that was bought by Apple, right? I think so. Um, so I don't know for sure what they're going to do with it. Um, I do know that, well, and, you know, I know we keep bringing this up, but Killers of the Flower Moon, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Dune 2. Um, some of these movies, there's no reason why they shouldn't be released. The, the main thing that the strike affects, obviously, is the production of movies. And there's a few of those independent, independently produced movies that are going forward, but some of them have stopped, mm-hmm. like the one that Viola Davis was producing and starred in. So... Um, I think that, yeah, it really does. I mean, we could see a, just a huge scarcity of movies for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously it affects everybody, but it brings the studio heads to the table because they can't make money. And it brings the actors and writers to the table because they can't make money. And so probably going to hammer out a compromise that's going to make some people unhappy, but mostly happy which is how compromises that's, are. I was going to say, that's a good compromise, right? right? Yeah, that's what I tell. Everybody gets a little bit of something, but nobody gets everything they want. Right. I've been, I've been doing a lot of, for my job, you know, doing a lot of mediations for people and helping them get divorced. And you always kind of try to explain, like, you're not really going to be fully happy with it, but it's got to be something you can live with, and it's better than the alternative. You know, it's better than taking your chances in court. So with, with the so, strike... So, Mark. Yeah. So how would you mediate between the writers and the actors guild and the what the studio heads all of the the streaming services all the powers that be well i mean one of the rules of of mediation is we believe in the power of self-determination so they have the right to ask for what they want to ask for but then we also um try to give them a reality check and ask them like well what if you don't get what you're what you what they're what you want like what if they don't say yes what's your alternative and what's your best alternative to a negotiated agreement which is called a batna and they're they're not going to have one they have to they have to get it resolved eventually um and then you have to do a risk a kind of a cost benefit analysis to say what's the risk of 
holding out for two or three or four more months because what could potentially happen is if one party knows that the other party can't last as long as the first party, then they could sort of bleed them out and say, don't worry, you'll be back. You'll come to the table and you'll be even more desperate and you'll be begging to resolve the strike on our terms in two months. So, you know, you kind of have these conversations with both sides. You kind of probably play a little bit of devil's advocate and present the the other party's strongest position to the side that you're talking to. And, you know, in this case, it's like, well, you, you want to get streaming and residual, you know, royalty rights from, from streamers. You want to control your, your, your uh, AI, like your, your voice and your likeness and image and all that. And, um, but like, you also need to work. You know, the writers and actors have to work. And, right. and these studios, they're, you know, in a sense, they're, they're losing more money than the actors and, and the writers because they're, they're the ones that generally make millions and billions of dollars. And so for each movie that doesn't get made, they're potentially losing billions. Like this, one of the movies we're going to review today just passed the billion dollar mark. And imagine if that didn't get made or if the release was delayed by a year or whatever. No. So I'll give you a hint. It's not the movie I'm here to review today. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, no, that, 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 was, that was very insightful. Um, glad you pointed that out, because I, I, do, I do get the sense that that is the current strategy, is the bleed the other side out. Um, but, you know, I only know so much <laughs> from, from a distance. I'm, I'm not an insider. Um, but we do have a few movies to talk about. One of them is going to be coming out this weekend, which we'll talk about first. And then we'll talk about a couple of movies that have been out for a little while and have been generating some news, such as a billion-dollar profit. Well, no, not a billion-dollar profit, but a billion-dollar ticket sales threshold, maybe something like that. Yeah, um, yeah, not the profit. Anyway, but... yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's do, first off, the Last Voyage of the Demeter, um, which I had not even heard of until about a week or two before I went and saw it. Uh, last night, I think I saw it last night. Um, yeah. The easiest way to sum up this movie, and I don't know, I don't want to be too harsh on it. It is not a bad movie. But if you ask me about it a month from now, I probably won't remember much of anything about it. It's kind of a filler movie that has a couple of nice ideas, uh, one or two nice elements, but this is the kind of movie that is perfectly set at the end of summer, you know, transitioning into fall. And sad to say, there's just not a lot of substance to this thing. Uh, the idea, the concept is that this is the story of what happens when Dracula is making his way from Romania to England. So he's on a ship and he's in a coffin. And I, I guess now, truth be told, I have not actually read the original Bram Stoker book. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of curious about reading it after this. Um, but... I guess at one point in the story, you know, he kind of makes, you know, makes a voyage. And, and so this movie is just the story of that voyage and it's Dracula versus all of the crew. Um, it really kind of comes off like a slasher movie in the sense that you, you know, going in because they, and I think this is a bit of a mistake. Um, they open the film at the end of the story as the ship has crashed on the beach on, uh, you know, the, the British shore and it's derelict as the, the titles say. And so there's nobody there. And so obviously just kind of like all kinds of chaos has happened. And so, so you kind of know that this is, this story is not going to end well. And I guess if you're familiar with the basic story of Dracula, you kind of already know that anyway. Well, 
but so, it does kind of take away from the suspense. Yeah, so does the, the story of Dracula include a ship, or is that just, is this something that, so Bram Stoker's Dracula is never, never takes place on a ship, right? Well, I think that part of it does, oh. and I don't know if, if there's a lot of the story that happens on the ship, or if this is supposed to be filling in a gap. The, the idea is that the beginning of the story takes place in Romania, Transylvania, and then uh, Dracula relocates to England. And so somewhere in between, he takes this ship voyage, and this is the story of what happens on that ship. Maybe because, it, like it says, it's like taken from the captain's log in hmm. Ram Stoker's Dracula or something. And so, again, not having read the book, I'm not really sure. I um, okay, I kind of like this and idea. There's so many. Well, no, and that's that's what I was this saying. Is, is that I think that the concept is kind of fun. Yeah. But the execution just feels really, really routine and by the numbers, and you know, just kind of uninventive, well, and and so like none of the performances really stand out. There aren't any real moments that just get to you. The tension is pretty pretty mild throughout. Uh, it's just it's functional. It's not it's not bad, but you kind of you know since since we're analyzing the movie, you know I find myself periodically asking, okay, why am I not connecting with this? Why am I not engaging with this? I, you know, it's I'm not particularly scared by it. I'm not particularly interested in what's happening because I generally know what's going to happen. Um, what was weird was that I, I kind of thought about, um, it made me think about Air, the movie that we've, we really enjoyed earlier this year, yeah. in the sense that you know what's going to happen by the end of Air, mm -hmm. but you're still so engaged because it's such a good story and because the characters are so well done and the writing is so well done that you're caught up in it and it doesn't matter that you know where the end point is. Yeah. In this movie, you effectively know what's going to happen and nothing from point A to point B really surprises you or makes you care or second guess anything. And it just, it just kind of happens, you know, A leads to B leads to C leads to D and then roll credits. And, I don't know. I mean, they. I mean, you know, was it a, scary? Like that? No, it's a horror movie, no. right? It's, an, it's a horror. It's a horror, horror movie, movie on a it, ship. It does not have hmm. tension. Oh. Um, it does have some gore. There's enough gore to make it an R-rated film. Uh, there's, I don't know. I mean, they try a little bit to build a story around um, Corey Hawkins, who I mostly remember from the reboot of the 24 TV series, which I think only lasted like a season, maybe a few episodes. Um, he play, excuse me. He plays a doctor who manages, who is from England, but is wound up in Romania and wants to get passage back. And so he joins the crew and the crew has taken on this, this load of coffin shaped boxes with this kind of creepy dragon symbol on it. And everybody's, kind of making a big deal out of, oh, this is, this is a bad omen and all this kind of thing. And, and it's just, a lot of the story is just very illogical because, you know, pretty soon after they leave port, Dracula starts crawling out of his coffin in the middle of the night and starts killing people off. And it's, you know, this is a good sized boat, but it ain't that big. So you should be able to figure out that, oh, well, here's this coffin-shaped box, and maybe we should open it up and see, you know. Mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't seem very plausible that they wouldn't be able to figure out what's going on relatively soon. And that's just one of a lot of points that just don't really line up. Right. Um, they, also, they also portray Dracula is more of a gargoyle-type creature. Um, and so it, it lacks the usual style and swagger of a dracula movie oh yeah um, so he's not he's really not count or anything he's not right. humanoid he's like i say it, the best i could say he's like he's like a gargoyle he's like a a, a man-sized gargoyle that the more he feeds the more he kind of 
uh, grows in strength and he gets his bat wings and this kind of thing. But he's this, he's kind of this, this pale gray fanged ghoul thing. And, you know, which kind of looks cool, but I think it robs the story of a lot of character. Um, because even, and I was thinking about this, even Nosferatu, the old silent film from, I think the 1920s. I mean, that's not your classic, good-looking, kind of seductive vampire Dracula-type character, but he still kind of has that gentleman, you know, he's he's the way he dresses and the way he moves still has kind of a grace and, and kind of a style. And this is just kind of a creepy monster that's cuddling in the dark. And hmm. I think we probably talked about this more than it even needs, honestly. Like right. I said, a month from now, I probably won't remember what I've just told you. And I doubt that many other people will not to say it's bad. It's not a incompetent movie. It's just so middle of the road, forgettable. So how, how many stars out of five? I think that, I think I would have to say something like two stars out of, well, you said a five, yeah, like it would be like two and a half stars out of okay. five because, because again, it's not, it's not that it's bad. I mean, it's you could say that it's bad in that the story is really weak, the characterizations are kind of bland, but it's it's not the missteps so much as it's just the lack of steps. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just kind of it's a it's blank. It should have been more. I mean, it could have been more stylized. It sounds like um, it could have yeah. been. Just more, yeah. probably needed some more jump scares, maybe, because you said it wasn't even scary. Um, well, not even jump scares so much as tension. Yeah. Like, you don't really feel tension. You kind of know what's going to happen, and then it happens. And because you're not invested in the characters, you don't really care. Right. And it's not fun in the way that some people enjoy slasher, you know, uh, villains as, oh, well, here comes Freddy again. And what's he going to do this time? Mm -hmm. There's none of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's not like, I don't remember a single scene or moment that, like I say, a month or two from now, I'll remember it all. Okay. They did kill an eight year old boy. That was a little bit unique. Oh, wow. Spoiler there. Okay. I ain't spoiling nothing. Nobody's going to go see this. (laughs) Let's move on. Okay. All right. Unless, unless, Mark, do you have any probing questions? No, about I the don't. Last Voyage of the Demeter. I don't plan to see it, and uh, <laughs> there's just way, way, way too many other movies on my list I'd, I'd rather see. There you go. Um. Okay. Well, let's get into it. Uh, I have seen two pretty big movies that have both come out this summer, um, both in July, actually, and I'll start with Sound of Freedom. You may have heard that this is a movie tinged with QAnon right-wing conspiracies that it presents uh, the heroic exploits of Tim Ballard, um, who was who was the founder of Operation Underground, who rescues children from sex slavery and human trafficking, and that it's exaggerating or embellishing his his real story. Tim Ballard, as you as I stated, starts Operation Underground. Well, he's working, um, and he, he works in, in the U.S. to help bring down pedophiles. Um, but he has a moment where he doesn't really feel like he can get to the source of it and, and actually help the children. He can arrest pedophiles and arrest those who are sharing child pornography online in the U.S., um, but doesn't feel like he's doing quite enough because they never get to the kids because they're mostly out of country. They're out of the U.S. Um, so... And he kind of has a, a crisis of conscience over it um, and, and then has to decide whether to try to make the leap to get permission and or maybe even leave his current job in order to truly fight the evils uh, of, of those who would harm children in other countries um, and do it in such a way that is using a lot of the skills that he learned, such as Spanish, he's fluent in Spanish. Um, and he knows how to arrest people. He knows how to play a part. For example, in order to get in with 
really taking down like a pedophilia ring. You have to kind of pretend to be one. Um, and so anyway, I don't want to kind of spoil it, but he, uh, the movie, I found it extremely gripping, like a really effective thriller. Um, and it was very tense. And from the opening moments, um, there's almost, it's kind of a weird way to describe a movie I enjoyed, but there's almost like a sick feeling in your stomach because the movie doesn't start with him. It starts with a little girl in a South American country who's uh, is visited by uh, basically a beauty queen um, who visits her and her father and gives them an opportunity to help her um, expand her talent and, and, you know, become a singer, which she likes to sing. And, um, and as, as it kind of shows the journey of this little girl to go to this like talent agency and to be trained with a bunch of other children, you, because you know what the movie's about, you really know what's happening to these kids and they have no idea. And the dad has no idea. And you just have this feeling of dread. It's just panic, like this sick feeling that, you know, they're going to be exploited and taken advantage of and kidnapped. And, and the interesting thing about this movie is it's a, it's a Christian movie is kind of how it's been marketed. And it was, it was distributed by Angel Studios and Provo. Um, but it's very dark and gritty. And it may be the darkest quote unquote Christian movie I've ever seen. And now I haven't seen The Passion of the Christ, but um, this movie, you know, it gets PG-13 and it's not, there's no nudity. There's no, you know, excessive swearing. There's really hardly any blood. But I don't think it's a movie for kids, even even older kids. No, I don't feel like it's I don't feel like it's appropriate for kids to watch this. Um, and and maybe if a parent wants to watch it with an older child and then have a conversation and you know talk about it, you could. But I think it would confuse some smaller kids and then scare the crap out of even older kids. I don't know. Um, and 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 that's fine. I mean, movies can scare kids, and we like I said, show my kids you know Jurassic Park and other movies like that, but. Uh, it's interesting that this has been a movie that's so widely praised by certain segments of society, and I, I found it to be much darker than I thought. And and it kind of has yeah. that sort of chilling, suspenseful, tense feeling throughout much of the movie. Um, now, ultimately, you know, it's it. I, I like how everything turns out. I like where it goes. Um, but it's you're kind of on the edge of your seat for the whole part. And I went and saw it with my wife and. At the end of it, she even turned to me and said it was a lot better than what she expected, like way better than she thought. And I think she'd read, read a bunch of negative things about it as well. Um, I, I kind of wanted to have a little wider conversation to, well, I'll circle back to the some of the movie a little bit, but I don't really vouch for what's true and what's not. Like, I don't know how much of it's been embellished, how much of it has been yeah. added on, because I just think this happens in almost every movie anyway. And it's just like you pick your poison, and if and you say, well, that movie is it's fake, or there was that that didn't really happen, or this is a composite character, or that you know that that would never happen in a movie, you know. And and I'm just like, yeah, join the club. Every movie's like that. Every movie <laughs> that purports to be a true story does that, and it's just like, how much are you willing to sort of put up with and just enjoy the ride, enjoy the story, you know. Um, like, for example, I, I, a lot of lawyer movies show lawyers talking to judges, sort of like maybe going to their house or having an off-the-record, what they call ex parte conversation with a judge, like between a judge and a lawyer. I see that a lot on TV shows and movies. That's completely off-limits. It's not allowed. Oh, yeah. So if I want to be a stickler and be like, that would never happen or that shouldn't happen, <laughs> well, okay, sure, but it, try to enjoy the movie. I remember reading um, Roger Ebert's review of JFK and... He said it really captured the zeitgeist of the, the mood of the nation at the time. He doesn't know how much yeah. is true or false, but the, Oliver Stone's JFK does a great job of just capturing that mood that we haven't been told the whole story. And he said, you know, we go to movies for feelings, not facts. There are other things we try to get facts out of. Um, and even documentaries don't always present the facts, you know, in, a, in an unfiltered, unvarnished way. So anyway... Um, I, I really like the movie a lot, and, and I, I try, again, I say that saying, look, I don't know exactly what happened. There's a big raid in the movie that supposedly is maybe different than it really happened, and there's conversations between Tim Ballard, played by Jim Caviezel, I should mention, who played Jesus in The Passion of the Christ, uh -huh. 
and um and and a, ch- a child in this movie that they you know it's said probably wouldn't happen or didn't happen well um you know and and there's there's a in the movie what it tells you is that there are more slaves today than at any time in history that's one of the things it says at the end of the movie um e- even when slavery was legal and i think well even if that's true part of the reason maybe that there are more people alive on earth than any time in history like way more people right so i'm sure per capita the number's lower um and and then you know m- most people have said that human trafficking or child trafficking especially sex trafficking of children doesn't happen in the way that it's portrayed in the movie it's it's a lot it's more morally ambiguous and sometimes it's often family members sort of enslaving their own children or relatives um in ways that are maybe not as as just directly you know pure kidnapping as you may see in in this movie um and so anyway i i yeah this is a movie i really liked quite a bit i mean i recommend it um the music is great it's basically a children's choir sort of a haunting yet angelic children's choir which you just really adds to the whole mood of the of the wow. uh, of the movie because it's about children being trafficked and how to save them and and there's several scriptures are quoted in the movie even by Tim Ballard him himself um, the one about you know it's better that a millstone be hung around someone's neck oh, right. you know that someone that hurts little children and um, but yeah I mean it, it doesn't show anything like I said it's not it's not rated R it's not it doesn't show anything that's just outright like pornographic or or extremely you know like bloody or gross or anything but you see a lot of children getting getting mistreated and slapped and lied to you know kidnapped exploited and and it's it's not an easy watch in fact i had two people independently before i saw the movie when i asked them about it two people both told me they used the word heavy to describe it um, which is works. I don't normally hear that word to describe a movie. I hear heavy-handed a lot, and probably because I overuse uh-huh. that word. But two different people said, "Oh, it's heavy." You know, it's good. I liked it. Blah blah. But it's heavy, and I'm and I yeah. I kind of I guess I didn't expect it to be that heavy. Um, but you know, and it reminded me of like in terms of having a message. You know, a movie that has a message. And I'm not saying it's as good as like Schindler's List or Twelve Years a Slave or even like Spotlight or unplanned, you know, which is an anti-abortion, you know, pro-life movie. But it's a, it's definitely a message movie because it does want, impel you, like motivate you to action. It makes you want to take action. You're like, oh, what, what can I do to help kind of a thing, you know, when you watch it. So do you feel like the message gets in the way of the story or not? Because I know that, I know that my own frustration with a lot of message movies as as we say even if it's a message i particularly agree with yeah is that i i think that a, a very common error especially these days is that the pri- the the message is set up as such a priority that it obscures and distracts from the story and and the quality of the movie yeah it, it sounds it for, sounds for me, like it you didn't. say it's kind of integrated for me it didn't because even though i, I did call it a message movie is it actually tells a story the whole time without stopping to like explain things or, you know, or, um, I mean, it's really a story kind of about two little kids, uh, you know, a brother and sister, and then a guy that's trying to save them. I mean, that's kind of just at its heart what it's about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then, you know, his own journey with why he does some of the things he does and then how he has to kind of align himself with some pretty gross, unsavory characters Sure. Um, sort of like an, you have to really go, how deep will you go inside to take something down that's like an evil organization, almost like The Departed or Donnie Brasco mm-hmm. or one of those kind of movies. Um, and and so it's a it's just a so I didn't it didn't do that for me, but it clearly does have a message. And then at the and then you know, there's a part where after the credits roll where Jim Caviezel is talking to the crowd and telling yeah. them to pay for others to see it and there's like a qr code on the screen and it's a little awkward and like he um you know and they give you some stats about about slavery and and trafficking and so yeah it's it's a message movie just like any of those other movies i name like spotlight or whatever um 
but it tells a story and it's it's quite a i mean it's riveting um so yeah. i don't know i i i i give it like five out of five stars and maybe i'm maybe i'm overrating oh. it but i mean it's been about three weeks since i've seen it and i don't like my feelings toward it haven't diminished at all um maybe a couple of weeks notable. but but yeah i mean yeah. i i don't know like i'm sure there are that's you know people who completely disagree with me or are angry enough about the inaccuracies in it that they you know they find reasons to dislike it um but yeah i i thought it was very very good yeah. and i recommend it yeah well we've we've talked about this subject not not this particular subject and certainly not this particular movie but i remember it was a while back when we were talking about biopics and we were talking about the idea that you know how how faithful to the truth do you need to be in in certain kind of movies and and stuff and I, I don't know. I, I think it's good that you point out that, Hey, you know, we, we, yeah. you watched the movie, you, you didn't research the thing beforehand. Right. And so, um, I mean, I don't know how relevant the changes are. I think that's one of the questions you have to ask is just because you, like you say, I mean, in order to translate a true story to film, a lot of times you have to make, uh, not necessarily changes, but certainly edits, and you need to kind of bring the story into into a certain format and a, a certain uh, structure. Um, but I think there are a lot of different things you can consider, and and I know the thing that that stood out has stood out to me in the past is specifically when the movie is dealing with a real life person. I think that it's important to think about how they're portrayed, especially if you're having them do and say things that they may or may not have actually done right um uh, i don't know i mean and, and again i mean i'm well, just yeah and, and one thing i thought about too is there's a difference between like defaming a real life person and yeah. embellishing them deifying them making them to a, even a more heroic figure mm -hmm. right and and they're probably both there's probably problems with with both approaches but like you're less likely to get like sued for defaming a real life person <laughs> right i mean Jerry West threatened to sue the makers of Winning Time, that's like the TV right, series about right. the Lakers, because it makes him look like just like this horribly abusive alcoholic guy that, you know, uh, and he, he had a tough, I mean, he's the guy that famously went to, I think, nine NBA finals and only won one and just talked about how losing was so hard, it was almost harder than, wasn't worth it, even though he ended up winning it. He, um, but I mean, he's not portrayed well in that from what I've heard, and it just made me angry. Well, this is the other thing. Like, it maybe makes Tim Ballard look even like more of a hero, a, a savior of children than he really was. Um, and and supposedly he may have done some things that you you probably shouldn't do, even if you're trying to do it. You know, it's like the means justify the ends, you know, right, kind of right. thing. Um, and so, but I, I mean, I he he plays it perfectly. Like this Caviezel actor, Jim Caviezel, and yeah, I thought he, yeah, I thought he did a great job and. Um, no, I've, I've liked him for a long time. I, I've seen him in a number of things. Um, I think I've seen, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I've seen Passion of the Christ all the way from beginning to end or if I've just seen parts of it. Hmm. Um, but I remember him from uh, Frequency mm -hmm. back in the late 90s. It was a lot of good. It was, was, was a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. It, it, not, not to give too jarring of an example that's going to clash with our current topic, but he he also played a high school basketball player in an episode of the Wonder Years that I just watched a couple of years ago or just a couple of weeks oh, ago. Okay. Um, there's there's kind of this hero episode. It's a great episode of the series, and uh, he's kind of the, the the high school hero. And Kevin, the main character, is just kind of doting on him and stuff. And uh, uh, what's what's really amazing about it is that Caviezel, you know, in his I don't know. 18 19 20 year old form at the time looks like he's auditioning for a john stockton biopic it is so oh. hilarious how spot on he looks it does look kind of running like around stockton. playing basketball oh yeah. you i mean i would recommend the entire series of the wonder years for a whole host of reasons uh but if if you got to find one reason to get into it you know, go, go check out that episode. It's, it's just called hero. I think it's from, I think it's from the fifth season of the wonder okay. years and it stars Jim Caviezel 
as a John Stockton lookalike <laughs> high school basketball player. I feel like if they made a biopic of Stockton, they could have played him. He could have played that yeah. like 10 years. You know, oh, it would be perfect. Years it would ago. be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. yeah. All right. Um, okay. So, so you got, uh, so we got the last voyage of the Demeter. We have the sound of freedom. Sound and of now freedom. Now we've got the, did I say sound of freedom? Well, it's, say? it's not the, isn't that weird? It's just, oh, there's no sound the? of freedom. It's just sound of freedom. Yeah. Kind of like sound of metal, which came out three years ago. It's, you want right. to say the, some of these movies, right? Um, I think they're just messing with us. They are. Yeah. Cause I don't they're know just, why. They're just trying to make it hard. It could have been the sound of freedom. In fact, I'm just going to call it that. Um, okay. Okay. So you're ready okay. for it's it's time it's time for the billion the billion, the billion dollar, dollar movie. movie. Okay, let's talk yeah. about Barbie. Um, okay, I I mean I feel like the setup for this movie most people already know, right? Like we have Margot Robbie <laughs> as Barbie, Ryan Gosling uh, as Ken. I didn't know this really until I saw it, but there are multiple Barbies and multiple Kens. They're each in their different roles. So Margot Robbie plays stereotypical Barbie. Um, there's Dr. Barbie, there's Supreme Court Justice Barbie, Matt President Barbie. They're all played by different actresses. Um, and one of them is actually played by an actor who is a, is transgender, who, who's a, a, a man who identifies as a woman named Hari Neff. Um, and then there's, there's, uh, you know, quite a few of these different, you know, people playing different Barbies. Well, anyway, so she lives in Barbie land and she everything is kind of perfect and 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 there's a lot a lot of the funniest bits in the movie are in that first in the opening kind of sequences that are they take place in barbie land because it's sort of a we hear about barbie's dream house right like which is her big house that has everything that she loves in it and it was part of the toy one of the accessories that you know girls could buy and um and the men are sort of accessories too like ken is secondary to Barbie. Ken only exists to be needed or loved or wanted by Barbie and doesn't even know how to be independent of Barbie. And so it's kind of a play on like this reverse gender roles that like maybe was an idea in the 50s that women were secondary to men and that they weren't, um, you know, somehow as important as men or, you know, it could be cast off by men or used by men. And so it's so funny to watch Gosling navigate this role. And I, I think where he, uh, I heard a, a Greta Gerwig state that when she had recruited Ryan Gosling to play this role of Ken, and then he read the script and he said, you know, this is like the bachelorette where you have sort of one, one woman and then all these guys around and whenever oh, you the, you mean the reality show, the reality show, the bachelorette yeah. <laughs> and, and one of these, when all the guys aren't, when the, the girl isn't around, all the guys are standing around and they don't really know what to do. They don't really know what to do with themselves because their, their whole goal is to somehow get with the bachelorette. And when they're together with the other guys, they just stand around, you know, like doing nothing or having dumb conversations, but they're not really doing what they want to do, which is be with the Just like what guys do in real life. <laughs> well, I thought it was so funny because he that's kind of how he is here it's just like can he be noticed by barbie does barbie realize that he wants to be the boy you know he wants to be your boyfriend is he good at beach it's funny like that's his job it's beach it's not lifeguard <laughs> he doesn't know how to swim he just is good at beach and so there's lots of good just kind of humorous bits in there um well one morning barbie wakes up and has a uh, she has these thoughts of death and she has these feelings where she just like becomes sort of obsessed with it and her feet are no longer arched like you know perfect healed feet you know in heels and she notices some cellulite and so she goes and figures out weird barbie which is played by kate mckinnon weird barbie is the barbie that was played with too hard and and yeah anyway so because well, there's a connection between the barbies and their like the the barbies they're... in the barbie land right have some kind of supernatural connection to their owners in the real world right 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 and so that's kind of where i'll where i'll kind of stop going into too yeah. much detail but yeah she goes on a quest um she wants to try to find out what's what's going on and how to fix herself and it becomes kind of a journey of of discovery and of knowledge and and you know of course gosling or ken tags along uh, um 
kind of she doesn't even really want him there but he's he's there just kind of like okay whatever and so it's kind of funny because it's sort of like adam and eve leaving the garden of eden and and finding out what the real world is like you know this sort of perfect stereotypical you know man woman couple um finding out a lot of stuff that maybe they really didn't want to find out maybe they were happier in the garden of eden but um, it's important for them to have this discovery and it actually has different effects on both of them Because um, Ken discovers patriarchy, which is a word that you will hear a lot if you see Barbie yeah. way I too much that. in my opinion um, But uh, you know and again, they, they play it off as funny, but I think it's a message movie um, And it's you know, it's written by Greta Gerwig who did two much better movies in my opinion Lady Bird and Little Women um, and she loves to write this kind of from the, not just writing as a woman, she's a woman, but like this feminist perspective. And so there's a little bit of, I don't know how to say like woman-splaining in the movie. You've heard, you've heard the term mansplaining. Um, I have. This is woman-splaining. This is what But please, ma- mansplain it to me. Do you want me to explain it to you? Um, no, I want you to mansplain it to me. <laughs> so, uh, and she co-wrote it with Noah Baumbach, who's her partner, who, you know, did Marriage Story and has done quite a few movies. Um anyway they so there's this real world scene mattel is heavily involved in the movie they are producers of the movie of course they're in on the joke because they make fun of themselves but they're making a lot of money through this thing um (laughs) but they make themselves look like just sort of dopey guys that are trying to just run a company for money and don't care how it makes men or women look and will ferrell and here's another connection one movie this reminded me of quite a bit was the lego movie I was going to say. Right, where there's a bunch uh, of toys. Um, They have an existence as toys, but only, and they don't quite know it, at least for a time, but only in relation to how they're used or kind of played played with, right? And and then Will Ferrell's in both movies in in sort of like the real life role, you know? Yeah, Um, right. And, uh, and, and also, I mean, he's president of business and Lord business as a Lego, and he's also the president of Mattel in this movie. So I thought that was kind of a funny little coincidence maybe not a coincidence because he he really fits the role um and so you know and there's a lot of stars way more than i thought in this movie i mean it's narrated by helen Mirren. Mirren, uh dua leap is in it america Ferreira gives a sort of now famous speech called it's literally impossible to be a woman um and uh so i mean you know i walked out of it and i remember i had a, i had a lot like a lot of hopes because my wife had already seen it and then she wanted to go see it again with me she wanted to take me oh okay and i really really loved lady bird and little women and i and to be honest i didn't even care about the little women's story that much i knew what it was about i generally mm-hmm. knew the story i don't think i'd seen the 94 version or whatever right. um i can't remember if i had or not but i i saw her version about a year and a half or so after it came out and it was i was just blown away um and, uh, and then I, I think Lady Bird is her best movie. And this is just not that close, in my opinion, to either of them. Um, oh, yeah. I don't... And, and, and you know, I, I try to recognize this when I'm, like, reviewing a movie that some movies just aren't for certain people. I, maybe I'm not the target. I'm not the kind of person that would like this as much. And, for yeah. example, so many women and girls have seen it. It's been about a 65-35 split for, for females to males seeing this movie women who grew up with Barbies as little girls and played with them, there's already that sort of nostalgic connection there for them, yeah. right? To in, in seeing this, this movie. And, and it has similarities in the Lego movie too, in that like some of the like accessories it'll show, it'll like pause the screen and tell you what it is. Like in the Lego movie, do you remember mm-hmm. when it would tell you like the, the number, like the, the toy number of like what brick was being used? Yeah, or right, I did that right. a lot. Um, and, and then it also, it even the narrator sort of explains why Barbies came about at the beginning of the movie. You've probably seen this 2001 the Space Odyssey mm-hmm. homage. Um, and, and it's funny, too, because it, 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 it almost shot for shot copies 2001. But, you know, instead of, like, bones being smashed by monkeys, it's, like, dolls, you know, baby dolls being smashed by little girls. And, uh, you know, it has the same music, uh, Thus Spake Zarathustra, and it's a, it's a, that's kind of like the opening scene, even before you get to get to Barbie Land. But I uh, so I thought that was that was clever, 
done very good. But um, a lot of this, the opening scene and then some of the stuff at the end I liked. Um, some of the fish out of water stuff in the real world was, was pretty funny. But sort of the heavy handed, I think I warned myself I was going to use that word. Um, <laughs> it ends up, it just ends up being a little too much, a little too on the nose. Too many like speeches and lines that are just like pretty directly not subtle in any okay. way at all, right? And which is weird because I get that like, oh, maybe if you want you want people to understand your message and little kids are going to see this, but I don't really think the movie is for, for little kids. It's too, it's, right. there's too much you wouldn't understand and there's, and it's PG-13, so it's probably not for little kids anyway, um, but I didn't see anything really like offensive in it like neither of these movies even though they're both pg-13 i'm talking about today neither of them like were like had f words or really much swearing at all um yeah. and uh but i think thematically and and kind of there's references to to genitals because you know barbies don't have them and there's there's several comments about it that are one of them actually is quite quite hilarious but they're 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 played for laughs you know um so, you know, you probably wouldn't want little kids to see it, but, you know, maybe older kids is fine. Um, so, I don't know. There's a certain charm to it. There's certain things that really made me laugh out loud. I just, I love the way they did. But then there's certain lines in it that are more groaners, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, I don't know. Jokes that are overly just obvious. Um, mm -hmm. But the other thing I like about the Barbie Land is it's deliberately meant to look like a toy like toys many of the things in there aren't meant to look that realistic um even though all the actors are you know um yeah. and but when things happen to them or when there's a fight or when somebody gets in a like a crash or whatever i mean the way they're flying through the air it's almost more like a toy or a doll would than a human would so you so know almost almost like your other favorite movie this year asteroid city oh gee yeah <laughs> This was better than that, so I don't know. I, I was very down on that. Hey, yeah, there you go. If I were to watch one of these movies again, I'd, I'd go see Barbie again if I had to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, and then also it has this thing that happens a lot in movies that sometimes I like, sometimes I don't, where it refers to itself. So you get mm -hmm. that. You kind of have to deal with that. And, and you're, you know you're watching a movie, but you just don't get lost in it in, the, in like the way you would in like Sound of Freedom or something. You know, it's... Yeah. They call it a movie, and sometimes you hear like there's one time you they say Margot Robbie, you know, which is just <laughs> kind of weird. Um, so I don't know what, it, it, you know, I, I wanted it to be better. I tried to keep an open mind. I even tried not to even read too much about it before seeing it. Some yeah, of it was almost yeah. unavoidable, um, but yeah, not a big, not a big one for me. So. So Sound of Freedom, or The Sound of Freedom, came in at five out of five stars. It sounds like Barbie is more three and a half? I would say three. You say th three I'd out of five? I'd say three out of five, yeah. I mean, okay. I, I, I just don't, you know, I, I realize that's probably low, but I don't like, there was just too much that wasn't for me and, and wasn't, um, yeah, I mean, it was a, a message movie. And maybe it's just that, like, there's certain messages that I didn't, I, I felt were overly preachy, unnecessarily yeah. moralistic. Um, like, for example, the It's Literally Impossible to Be a Woman speech. You can read it online. There might even be clips of it now from America Ferrera. Is what it does is she gives all of these sort of contradictions of stereotypes that women are expected or roles or responsibilities that women are expected to live up to mm. but some of which contradict with each other you know yeah. like i'd be i'd be really interested like i said i i have not seen the movie yeah i would be really interested to compare that speech to there there's a an article that i have my students read at the beginning of every semester in my you know kind of my intermediate writing course when uh we're i'm introducing the idea of rhetoric and it's called Why I Want a Wife. And it was written by a woman named Judy Brady in the early 1970s, kind of at the, you know, the emergence of the, the women's oh, uh, yeah. movement. And it's kind of this, I don't know if I call it tongue in cheek, but, but she basically goes down a laundry list of all of the kind of, like you're saying, kind of the, the generic expectations of a wife, according to the time, with the idea that when you, when you put them all out on paper at once, 
you realize how unreasonable mm-hmm. and overwhelming and at times be. yeah hypocritical yeah. and contradictory etc um and it's you know it's just it's a really great conversation starter so it's a mm-hmm. really really fun one to use in class um but it it sounds very very similar to what you're describing and so i almost wonder if there was there might have even been a note of inspiration because it's a it's a very famous famous uh, piece well and, uh, i i mean and i try like i guess i'm trying to put you know myself in people's shoes like like i just finished reading to kill a mockingbird again and the line atticus keeps telling his daughter is like you never really know someone until you crawl around in their skin for a while and walk in their mm-hmm. shoes and get to know them. And it, and it, that, that comes up in the book a few times. And, and it, that's one of the things that helps Scout really see things from others' point of view, like Boo Radley or whatever. So I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm like, obviously I'm not a woman. I don't know what they go through other than what I hear from women or read from women. So I, I can't just fully say it with the, the moral authority of a woman. But I've heard women, such as a the... Christy Lemire, the film critic from ebert.com, or even my own wife, say they didn't like that speech. It's literally impossible mm. to be a woman's speech. They felt it was just whiny. It was like, buck up, put your big girl pants on. Everybody goes through this. We could write the same speech for a man if we wanted. Now, I get that. I, I Again, like, yeah. same with the Sound of Freedom thing. Like, hey, if you don't like the movie, make another movie. You know, make a movie that's the movie you want to make, that says what you want to say. Um, like, but like, you know, men can be, we're supposed to be vulnerable and in touch with our feminine side, but we're still supposed to be masculine and warriors and protect those around us. And we can't be victims of assault, or, you know, and we can't be, uh, you know, like we have to be like the perfect dad and spend all this time with our kids yet work a full-time job. I mean, there's with the women and that's how some of the things in the literally possibly a woman's speech are, um, you know, like women are, when we're lead, you know, we're leaders, but we're told that we're too bossy if we're a leader and we're supposed to, you know, we want to ask for money, but we're not supposed to talk about money. It's, it's gauche or whatever. And like, they kind of, she has all these things. It's much better than I'm saying it, but, um, and you could be like, okay, yeah, I I guess, you know, I could see how that could be a problem, but just try not to put that kind of pressure on ourselves, men and women. Like, don't, don't don't expect contradictions or incompatible things out of people. Let people have some balance and some moderation and give them grace, you know, in their lives. And um, and ultimately, like, you, there's a nice message there, you know, near the end of, of Barbie about, um, you know, I mean, I guess I don't want to spoil it, but like there were some things I liked about it. So. Did you feel like there was a lot of room for interpretation in the movie or did it feel like it was pretty much clearly shooting for one particular thing even if you don't want to go into what that thing is yeah i i think that it was um i think there's room for interpretation in how what the message they're trying to say and um i i guess you know when i think about trying to enjoy it just as a movie and not as a message and enjoy the humor of it i i lose track of really okay whatever message there is because like it's okay to not be okay is kind of a thing you that you kind of get in some of these movies. Like the perfection standard is just that. It's just an ideal. It's not real. You know, Barbie land utopia doesn't exist in real life, but maybe we can try to take some of the good things from it and and make them, you know, make them happen. Um, you know, women can do anything. They, they have voices. Um, I mean, it's I guess it's stuff we've we've heard before, right? That's That's good. That's mm-hmm. good and true stuff. But like the kind of hitting you over the head with things, um, it, it gets kind of old, you know, and, and just, and even like I said, sort of the whiny sort of preachy nature of some of the things that are said in it that just aren't, I, I just don't fully agree with the message. So maybe that's just my problem. Right. For, for example, there's a scene where a, a, the daughter of America Ferreira is talking about why she hates Barbies, like why she hates Barbie. And that's the other thing that's interesting is the movie has sort of a, you almost say conflicted message toward Barbie that as a doll and as like Mm -hmm. a, an influence on millions of girls itself. Um, Because, you know, originally it was like meant to empower little girls. So they didn't have to play with dolls anymore. They could pretend to be a a, a woman and do the things that women do when they're playing with their dolls. It's sort of the first doll that did that. And then that's why they they wanted to get out of the stereotype and make different types of them, like Dr. Barbie and Astronaut Barbie and, and everything. Um, but then it maybe, for example, the body shape of Barbie was 
extremely unrealistically ideal and set impossible standards for little girls because none of them are ever going to look like that. You know, technically, even Margot Robbie probably isn't the exact proportions of the Barbie doll, right? No, I think I, I think I read something um, somewhere where it suggested that that the the closest to real life dimensions of the the classic Barbie would be like seven feet tall with a twenty inch waist or right. something crazy, just just insanely, you know, just unreal. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, this girl like gives a speech about how Barbie made her feel bad, and then there's it's. Barbie's fascist and it's just consumerism run amok and it's and I mean it's just capitalism's evil and I was just like okay like no girl would say that I, I mean I just didn't believe it you know like this is just not something a girl would say um maybe a screenwriter in her 40s would say it you know like um but there there were just there were parts like that where it's just like you just sigh let's move to the next thing kind of kind of a feeling you know yeah gotcha um, gotcha so well, I don't it's know. it's interesting that we have two, not three, movies that are that we would, you know, basically consider message movies, and and just looking at the way that I'm, I'm wait, Dracula on a ship is a message movie. <sighs> that's no, no, that was the one that's not. <laughs> oh, okay, that okay. Was, yeah. Oh, you said two. Uh, I thought you said three. I was like, okay, I, I missed I the said, message. Not, not three. Okay. Not three. Just two. Um, no, I, seriously, I do, I do think it's interesting to compare the way that two very, very different movies function essentially as message movies, because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, regardless of what you interpret that message to be, because like I said, I, I mean, I remember reading some of the, the first reactions to, to Barbary and, and it was, there was a very kind of a, you know, I don't know, some of the, some of these critics can, can be a little more on the harsh end of things just in general. Um, but then I saw somebody else come in who was kind of from their same, you know, kind of the same political uh, stance. And he was saying, oh, you know, I don't know. I think you kind of take another look at this. And I think it might be saying something a little bit different. And and so uh, I, I think it's I think it's interesting to see how, you know, to because, well, because it sounded like you felt like Sound of Freedom was very much a message movie but kind of handled it in stride, maybe aside from the, the explicit Embellishment uh, call whatever. to action at the end. Right. Um, whereas, whereas you felt, I mean, is it fair to say you felt like the messaging got in the way of the Barbie movie a bit yeah, too much? I, I think it did. I mean, there, 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 there's a lot packed in there because other than like sort of the politicization of everything, which is, again, maybe it's my problem reading too much into it and, 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 you know, maybe the feminism or woman-splaining of the movie is not as as bad as I'm making out to be. But then the certain things that I like about it, like sort of this Adam and Eve tale that I think is kind of interesting in there, or this coming-of-age like journey of self-discovery and knowledge and exploration of the world, it's cool. There's, there's certain things about yeah. it that are really cool. Like, I mean... Barbie sort of has to leave Barbie land to make it even a, a story at all. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just nothing. It's just, you know, girls playing with dolls or whatever for 20 minutes. Right, um, right. So, um, but I, I think there's times where it's just overwritten. Maybe mm-hmm. there's several times of that. Well, like, I mean, this know. might be this might be oversimplifying. And of course, I'm, this is coming from the guy who hasn't seen either movie. <laughs> but, but, I mean, the thing I tell my students every semester is show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. And, and the best the best stories are able to communicate those those messages those feelings those sentiments through those creative subtle means and I don't mm-hmm. know I mean if you have to you have to grind the story to a halt a good a good story shouldn't have to bang you over the head with its message it should come through loud and clear mm-hmm. and I think that's good filmmaking yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the writing is not as good as I had hoped. Even even maybe the directing was not as much because, like I said, I loved Gerwig's other two movies. The acting, I thought, was maybe... Well, the sets and the costumes and everything was just spot on. Like, I, I thought it was so good. I mean, you really... And I don't even know Barbie that well, but I mean, I felt like I was in the in Barbie world and that's how it would look. And that's how it would look even maybe in a girl's imagination and... I mean, they really were authentic, and they made sure to tell you a lot that these were real Barbies. 
the filmmakers, they let you know these are real Barbies. Some of them were, were discontinued, and there's some really weird ones. There's like a sugar daddy Barbie, <laughs> sort of like another type of Ken, one with a magical earring. I mean, there are some very weird Barbies. There was a pregnant Barbie named Midge. Um, but And so I think a lot of those, the actual Barbies and the 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 costumes and like the setting was amazing um and then the acting i i for playing a basically a doll a real life doll especially because of the transformation she goes through margot robbie was she's just one of these great actors i think that can just like cry on cue and express conflicted feelings and same with gosling um because you know it's it's such a simpleton at first you know, his whole life is basically, his whole existence is for one purpose. And he's just like a needy puppy dog for, for Barbie. But then he, when he discovers patriarchy, it just, it all changes. And it's just, it's so funny. Um, so I think he, they just really threw themselves into their roles. Those two especially. And a lot of the other, you know, like Kate McKinnon and Will Ferrell, America Ferrera. I mean, I, I don't really have any complaints about the performances I, yeah. I saw. I thought they were great but just other other things so yeah it's not a i mean it's not a bad or horrible movie in my and then you know three stars out of five is not terrible just not like for I, i'm surprised it's doing the business it's doing but you know yeah everyone wants to check well it out. i think and I, and I don't know how much of this is connected to the message how much of it is the nostalgia that you refer to but I get the sense just from what I've observed that attending the movie has become kind of a event of the summer type of thing for a lot of people, mm -hmm. a lot of women who are really just enjoying dressing up in all pink and yeah. we're going to go see the Barbie movie tonight. And, and so I think, I think it's become kind of a social cultural, yeah. you know, thing in that. And, and that's, that's a big part mm -hmm. of it, you know, and, and I have no doubt that a lot of people really have really enjoyed the message as well. However, they're, you know, however they're interpreting yeah. it. But, uh, um, so I guess, I guess in that sense, I'm not entirely surprised that, uh, that it's doing as well as it has. But in terms of like word of mouth, I think most people are, are positive enough on it. They're telling people to go see it. It's sparking yeah. conversation, um, which is, I always like about a movie and, I look like when I look at the Rotten Tomatoes score, it's very, very high on both audience and critic, mm -hmm. like 88 and 90 something, you know, like it's, it's up there. So, you know, I'm probably in the minority, but I, um, I, I just, uh, yeah, I was, ho I was hoping for more, but I, I guess I admire Greta Gerwig in the sense that there's so many things in it that are at least you know if not subversive they're challenging to the norms of just a movie about a toy mm -hmm. a toy movie you know and and um or how you would expect one to be because it could have been just a very normal standard vanilla type movie yeah and and there's a lot to it you know there's a lot she goes for a lot i guess maybe bites off more than she can chew but yeah. not the worst thing in the world to do yeah <laughs> yeah i don't i'm not i mean i'm glad i saw it's yeah. it's interesting i'm not like against it and uh so but i'm plenty of other movies i'm still looking forward to hopefully we'll get them good yes let's let's hope that there are many more movies to come in in 2023 and beyond and mm -hmm. that, uh that all works out so okay so we've covered the last voyage of the demeter the the or maybe not the sound of freedom and Barbie. So any, any final thoughts, any final, any, anything else exciting happening, just getting the kids ready for school and more, yep. more mediations ahead. More mediations, kids ready for school, still introducing the kids to, uh, other, you know, other movies I like. I just, I get such a kick out of that. Nice. We finished the Hobbit last night and then I gave them my oldest boys, the, the box set of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Okay. Like, I mean, it's not a box set, but there were four sold together in a similar set, the book. Oh, nice. The books. And so, because I, I kind of want them to read it. And Jameson's already started Lord of the Rings, so it was nice to get get him so, you know, we can actually take as long as he needs to read him. But yeah, we finished. It was a little better than I remembered it because The Hobbit definitely is not on par, par with Lord of the Rings. No. Um, but... Yeah, we're um, we're just plugging away. We're less than a week from school, and it's uh, 
yeah, got a middle schooler now. Wow. So congratulations. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, until next time, uh, thank you for joining us here and spending time listening to the Utah Film Pod. Be sure to leave us a like, a thumbs up, uh, a follow, whatever is available to you. And uh, we will look forward to talking more movie stuff next time. Thank you.